Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Fritz Vila. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse Community. So thanks for being here the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, you probably see a little bit more of me uh, today than you did last uh, week. Um, but uh, I do want to say welcome and good morning to uh, our location, especially Bluffton Community. By the way, congrats on your guys' uh, float last night. Uh, looked really good being a part of the parade. Um, also, I want to say welcome to our crew in Faustoria and then everybody joining us online. And we hope one day soon we get to see you uh, here in in person at the house. Now, do me a favor, uh, if you're here in the house, raise your hand if you've ever done a high ropes course. A high ropes course. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. You know if you've done it, all right? <laughs> uh, if you're online, maybe type high ropes uh, in the chat and let us know that that's something you've done as well. But I remember the very first time that I had done a high ropes course. Now, it was only about 20 feet up in the air, maybe to give reference, the peak of this ceiling here is about 11 and a half, 12 feet, um, so it's about 8 feet above that. Um, but uh, as far as I was concerned, 20 feet might as well be 1 million, uh, right? So I'm up there, and I got into my little harness, and they tighten it up, and it's like, whoop, you know, and now my voice is just a little... Um, and, uh, and I remember getting up there and going through some of the obstacles, and my legs were just shaking uncontrollably, right? I could not get control over them. There's sweat pouring down uh, my face. Every move I'm making with overwhelming care, uh, great purpose and intentionality. And I remember there were even times on the high ropes course, I had to literally will my body to move uh, in the direction that I wanted it to, because uh, it just wouldn't go. Um, because I was just, I was afraid of falling, right? And I put all of this pressure on me uh, to navigate how to get through that. And I don't know if I would describe my first time on the high ropes course as fun, uh, unless you would say figuring out how to not die is fun. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how I would uh, describe it. But I do remember I was full of anxiety. And I do remember that um, I was tired about halfway through. I do remember being very fearful uh, throughout that entire process the first time through. And so anxiety tired, fearful, right? These uh, all seem to be words that a lot of us might use to describe our lives, even especially in the season that we're in right now in the holidays. Um, and, and a word like hope is not always used with a lot of meaning. It's not always used uh, it, with the weight that it could be or that it should be used with. Um, many, many people are afraid for their own health. They're afraid for the health of other people around them. Uh, many are anxious about what may be next for us as a community, as a country, as a culture. Um, nearly all of us are just tired 
right? You're just worn out. I know of a, a school district in Ohio that actually is taking off tomorrow as well, specifically in response to a recent study that came out that just said families are overwhelmed with anxiety, uh, with uh, fear, um, all of these things going on. So they're just calling it Family Wellness Day. Take another day off and just be home and be with people and, and connect and do all of those things. And so the question I think that gets begged in situations like this that we're in now is where do you go to for hope? Where do you go to for hope? Now, I, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about distraction. Okay? Those are, that's, that's very different. I'm not talking about escape, but rather real, genuine hope. Where do you go to for hope? Like when life gets overwhelming, when situations become too much, when it feels like your house is burning down and all you can do is watch it. Where do you go to for hope? And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, or click over in your device to Jeremiah 33. Uh, and when you go to Jeremiah 33, also take a moment and find 2 Samuel 7. We're going to start in Jeremiah 33, but I want you to find 2 Samuel 7. Those are both in the Old Testament. And just kind of put a marker in 2 Samuel 7. Um, we are in between series right now, so we just came out of All In. We're getting ready to go into a new series next Sunday uh, called Unspeakable Joy, and we're going to travel through the first two uh, chapters of Luke, uh, preparing for the celebration of Jesus' birth and his incarnation. Um, but it just seemed right to touch on this topic of hope as we're coming out of Thanksgiving and we're looking ahead to Christmas. Now, uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 is where we're starting, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 uh, in the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with the version that you have. And it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land." In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, to, to be able to fully appreciate and understand this passage, uh, you and I just need a little bit of context, or we'll very quickly uh, take a, a right-hand turn where we shouldn't. Uh, so what's going on is this is happening around 600 BC, generally. And so what's happened is the nation of Israel has experienced a civil war. And there's been a split in the nation of Israel. Now there's two kingdoms. The kingdom to the north retained the name Israel. The kingdom to the south took on the new name of Judah. Okay, So you now have two kingdoms. One's Israel, one's Judah. And both kingdoms had been worshiping other gods. And both kingdoms were worshiping idols. Now, even if you're not highly familiar with the Bible, if you have a loose connection and understanding, you know that those two things alone are like the top two of God's don't do these things, right? Don't worship other gods and don't worship idols. 
That's exactly what Israel and Judah were doing. And so if you want to stoke God's anger, and if you want to hurt God, then engage in that. (laughs) Um, And that's exactly what happened. And so what God does is he likens what Israel and Judah are doing. He likens it to a spouse who's having an affair, right? That essentially they're cheating on God with these made-up gods and with these idols that they made with their own hands and they're worshiping them, right? And so it's deeply hurtful and anger burns from within at the exact same time, right? And so God is both hurt and angry simultaneously. That's what's going on here. So what God did is he raised up a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah comes to the nation of Judah, and he's speaking mainly to them in Jerusalem, but it includes all of Israel. Um, And he says, listen, God's going to punish you. God's going to discipline you, Israel. God's going to discipline you, Judah. And the way he's going to do that is he's actually going to raise up another nation. And this nation is known as Babylon. And Babylon is going to come into Israel and into Judah, and they're going to decimate you. And then they're actually going to take you home to be their slaves, right? That's what's going to take place. And God did, by the way. That very thing happened. Uh, By 587 B.C., Babylon had conquered both Israel and Judah, uh, killing many and taking the rest back as slaves to Babylon. And, And that's one of the key truths from this passage that we read in Jeremiah chapter 3. And it's this. God always keeps his promise. You have to know that. God always keeps his promise. And so God promised to bring judgment for sin, and he did. And so that's the negative side, right, of God keeping promises. But there's also a positive side of God keeping his promises, right? When you look in the Old Testament, you see that God promised that Abraham would be the father of a great nation, And God did it. You see that God promised to rescue Israel out of the hand of Egypt from slavery. And God did it. God promised to lead Israel to possess this promised land, right? And God did it. And so you have to know and you have to understand and you have to see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God always keeps his promise. He never fails to uphold what he says he's going to do. And so what happens in Jeremiah chapter 33, specifically verse 15, what God does is he points back to a promise that he made to King David almost 500 years before this moment in history. So if, you got, if you're ready, jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 is where we're going to start. This is God speaking a promise to King David um, 500 years before, and it says this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, right, when you die, 
I'm going to raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so what's happening here is God promised that one of David's descendants would be established as king forever, always, right? You see some of this promise being fulfilled through Solomon, Right? Immediately after David, he's the one who builds a temple. But what God does is he reaffirms this promise in 2 Samuel 7, again through Jeremiah. Right? Re- remember verse 15 in Jeremiah 33. This is God speaking. He says, listen, I'm going to cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, here's the question. This is not a trick question. I'm not trying to get anybody. Do you know who is the righteous branch? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no trick. Uh, you could literally just do the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus? Yes, yes, it is. It's him. You got it. Uh, yeah, Jesus is. Jesus is the righteous branch, right? He's the righteous branch from, for David. He's the uh, branch that's going to come from the stump of Jesse. And so you see God making this promise initially to David in 2 Samuel. He reaffirms it again to Jeremiah uh, in chapter 33. And then you see God fulfill his promise to David through Christ. Why? Because God always keeps his promise. He never fails to accomplish it. This is one of the reasons why uh, both the Gospels, both Matthew and Luke, begin their Gospel by tracing Jesus' ancestry all the way back to the beginning, and it always includes David, right? Because God fulfilled his promise. It's one of the reasons why Jesus was raised in the village of Nazareth after he was born. Did you know that the word Nazareth is a variation of the Hebrew word netzer? And netzer means branch. Jesus was raised in the village of the branch as a son of David. Why would that happen? Because God always keeps his promises, and Jesus is the king forever. Now, I appreciate what God spoke through Jeremiah in verse 15, because it says he's going to execute justice. He's going to execute righteousness in the land. And if you've read through Jesus' life and his ministry, you see that his life was marked by righteousness and by justice. And so righteousness... Right? He's marked by righteousness because he always lived under God's leadership for every moment. That's very important. Jesus always lived under God's leadership for every single moment. Right? He always relied on the Father's leadership. He always relied on the Spirit's empowering because that's what righteousness is. 
I think righteousness is one of those words that we kind of have a fuzzy understanding of what it means, which means we really don't understand what it means, right? And so let me give you a very pared down uh, basic definition of what the word righteousness means. Here's at its core level, this is what righteousness is. It's living in a right relationship with God under his terms, okay? Let me say that again. Those words are, very, are chosen very purposefully. It's living in a right relationship with God under God's terms. And so he sets the terms of the relationships, and we live underneath of those terms in a right relationship with him. And so what that means is if you fail at any of the terms, you are now unrighteous. And you will always be unrighteous from that point forward. If you fail at even just one, just one of the terms, you're now deemed unrighteous and your righteousness is gone because righteousness is either all or nothing. It's either 100% or it's zero, right? There's no grading on a curve. Like that that is out of here, that's gone. You're either righteous or you're not. And if you fail in one small piece, you're unrighteous and you're unrighteous forever. Jesus never failed. (laughs) Jesus always lived in a right relationship with the Father under the Father's terms, and he never fell short even once. He was righteous, and so Jesus' life is marked by righteousness, but it was also marked by justice, right? Yes, Jesus always did what was fair. Yes, Jesus always did what was just, but more so is the fact that Jesus became the object of justice. Did you know that? Jesus became the object of justice. Here's what I mean. So Jesus, the righteous branch, the one who never failed to keep God's standards, the one who never fell short for relying on God of every moment, of every single day, he faced God's justice in your place. He faced God's justice in my place. And so the destruction that your sin earned, the decimation and the death that we deserved, Jesus took the wrath for all of that. Every sin of every person for all time. Jesus faced all of God's wrath in that moment. Jesus never worshipped another god, but he took the punishment for those who did, us. Jesus never bowed down to idols, but he suffered under God's anger against all of it. Jesus never failed, and yet he was the one who was exiled as a slave through death on the cross. Through Christ, justice for sin was served. Do you see? Do you see that Christ's life is marked by justice and righteousness? This is, this is actually what the New Testament verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, is communicating for us to understand and to see, right? Look at this. Let's do this, actually. Let's read this verse out loud together. Are you guys ready? Go. 
For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, what this passage means is this, is that Christ took on our identity of our sin. He took on our identity as idol worshipers, as adulterers against God, as people who shook their fist in the face of God and said, I will do what I want to do, and I don't need you. Jesus stepped into that identity in our place, and then what he did is he gave us his identity of righteousness. That's what this verse is communicating. And so now it's by grace through faith in him alone that Christians can stand before God as righteous and with righteousness, right? And what that means is when you say yes to Jesus, when you put your faith in him, you are now declared in a right relationship with God under his terms. And you've taken the identity as a person who's never failed. You now have the identity of someone who's never fallen short. You now have the identity of the one who always relied on God and the Holy Spirit's empowering for every moment of their life because there's been an identity shift that's happened. You're no longer under the wrath of God. You're no longer this person who's committing adultery against God. But now you're the chosen. You're the blessed. You're the son, you're the daughter of the king, and that's how God looks upon you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, right? And that's all by grace, and it's all through faith in that. And so what's awesome is in that, God kept his promise. Jesus executed righteousness and justice, Look at Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 16. Right? This passage says this. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And check this out. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Did you know that? You're not righteous because of anything you do. You're actually only made righteous because of Christ. And so Christ is your righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. Psalm, or excuse me, Jeremiah 33, 16 is made true that the Lord is our righteousness. How can this be? Well, it's because God always keeps his promises. He never fails. So what's happened here is that God reminded Israel and Judah of this truth, right? And what he does is he invites them into something, something they had not been doing. He invites Israel, he invites Judah to hold on to him and to cling to his promise, right? Because what God is basically saying here in Jeremiah 33 is, listen, I I always keep my promises. I always keep them. And I love you, Israel. I love you, Judah. I love you, Jerusalem. And I have to keep my promise for discipline. But I also have to keep my promise to rescue you. 
And I also have to keep my promise to raise up the righteous branch who's still to come. And I'll keep my promise to be your righteousness for you because I know you can't do it on your own. And yes, I know Babylon is coming. And yes, I know there's this time of being exiled into this other place where things are going to be really different. And I know there's going to be a time of challenge. And I know there's going to be a time of suffering. And so what I'm inviting you to do is to hold on to me and to hold on to my promise. That's what God is doing for Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. He's inviting them to do that. Did you know that God is inviting you and me to do the exact same thing? He's saying to me and he's saying to you, hold on to me. Hold on to me and hold on to my promise, even when the house is burning down. Even when there's significant suffering, even when there's challenges, even when it seems like there's no way to get out of this thing, hold on to me. And some of you here this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You have faced situations where your house has been burning down, right? For some of you, it's been figurative. For others of you, it's actually been literal, Right? You have faced that literal scenario in your life. But for some of us, your marriage collapsed, right? fell to pieces. Your kids went sideways. Your career took a dump. Your health has been deteriorating. Your finances have crumbled. Your dreams have been crushed. The thing you put so much hope in let you down, right? If you've been there, you've been there. If you haven't, just wait. (laughs) It has an uncanny way of finding you even when you're not looking for it. But there's a critical difference between putting your hope in God and putting your hope in anything else. And here's the critical difference. God is the only one who will stay true. God is the only one who will stay true. God is the only one who can stand up underneath the weight of who you are. God is the only one who will never change. God is the only one who will never fail. God is the only one who will never leave you. God is the only one who will always keep his promise. He's it. No one else can do that. No one else. You see, hope in God is fundamentally different than hope in anything else. Because hope in your marriage, hope in your job, hope in your kids, hope in your dreams, hope hope in whatever, right? Whatever you put your hope in, that is all based off of uncertainty, right? We have hope in that, but you don't really know. You can't, you can't really trust because you, you don't have any control. You don't have any real say in what other people do or other situations happen. I appreciate what the late pastor R.C. Sproul said. He said, hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life, but hope is not simply a wish. 
Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. And so hope in things here is based on uncertainty, but hope in God is based on certainty. Right? See, hope in God has this. All of eternity past to back it up. Hope has every single promise has made God promise God has made and every single promise God has kept all the way up until now backing up who he is and what he can do and what he will do. Hope in God includes his character. Hope in God includes his power. Hope in God includes his goodness. Hope in God includes his plan. Hope in God includes his love for you and his commitment to you. And so for many of us, right, this past week, some of us traveled to go be with family, and over the next five or six weeks, uh, we're going to be spending time and encountering many people who have their hope in uncertain things, right? Their hope is in uncertain things. And so you're going to share meals with people whose hope is crumbling underneath of them in real time. You're going to play games and then get in fights over Monopoly uh, over with people, right, who actually feel decimated and alone, even though there's a smile on their face across from the table from you. And you're going to have the opportunity to share with them the hope you have and why you have it, right? You're going to be able to let them see that God always keeps his promises. And one of the best ways to prepare for these opportunities is to simply know God's promises. It's to know them. It's to know his promises, right? And, and here's the reality. There is no other, there's no shortcut, there's no easy way, there's no other way to knowing God's promises, like knowing them deeply. There's no other way than through reading and studying the scriptures, right? There's just, there's no other way. That's the only way that this happens. And so uh, let me just share recently, I've been moving back and forth between Old Testament books and New Testament books um, in my own reading and my own study. And so over the last six weeks, I've read through books like Luke and Genesis and Romans and Psalms, and I'm working through Jeremiah right now. And, And listen, I cannot share with you all of the promises, all of the character of God, all that I've discovered about who he is just over the past few weeks in reading through and studying who God is through the scriptures. Now, when I was preparing for this, I had a plan to put up on the screen like all of these passages and all of these promises and all these truths that I've discovered just in my own personal reading and studying to to put in front of you as well. And then as I was praying, I thought, I know, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually not going to put any of that on the screen up there because those are my encounters with God. And you can't live off of my hope in God. You have to live off of your own hope in God. You have to grow in your own hope in God. 
And it begins with knowing his promises. And what I want to do is I want to help you discover God's promises for yourself. So then in the future, it will be, well, Fritz said. He told this story one time, and it was very inspiring. No, I want you to be able to say, I read. I know. I saw God. And so just for an example, I want to give you just a little bit of an insight of how I grow my hope in God. Now, this is not me saying that everyone should do what I do. I didn't even used to do what I do now. But here's what my time looks like. So my alarm goes off and my lamp turns on at 5 o'clock in the morning. All right? Don't talk to me about the condition of my marriage right now. All right? I'm just telling you what happens now. (laughs) She sleeps right through it. Um, Now, 5 o'clock, all that goes off. I'll be honest with you, I'm usually not very excited at that moment, okay? But I get up. I get up and I walk out into my kitchen, and waiting for me in the kitchen is a pot of coffee that's just been brewed, and I've got my Bible and my notebook sitting on the kitchen table because I set all that stuff up the night before. And so I sit down, and I let God know before I do anything that more than anything, I want to hear him. I want to learn who he is. I want to hear his voice. And so I make that really clear as one of the first things I share with him. And so for the next 30 to 60 minutes, I read and I study. And while I'm reading... The one question that rings at the top more than any other question I'll ask when I read the scriptures is this. What does this passage show me about who God is? What does this teach me about who my God is? What does this tell me about his character? What does this tell me about the promises he's making? Who is this God that these passages are telling me about? And I just want to know his character. And I just want to be caught up in his goodness. And I want to see a new glimpse of his power here in the passages. I want to know what I can expect of him today based on what he has done in the past. I'm doing all of that as I'm reading. And so my notebook is full of statements like this. God is a shepherd. God gives dreams and interprets dreams. God's grace is greater than death. God is my righteousness. I can tell you of mornings of just being in one chapter where I have written down more than 50 truths about who God is in just one chapter of Scripture. And that's the question I'm asking, and that's what I'm dealing with. And then out of those things I've written, I'll focus on one truth that I discovered that morning. And what I'll do is I'll use that truth to shape the way that I worship God through prayer. I'll use that one truth to search out and discover areas of sin in my life. Right? I'll use that truth to shape the things that I ask for in my own life that day, the things that I ask for in the life of my family, the things that I ask for in your lives. I just use that truth. And then I will hang on and meditate and dwell on that truth throughout the rest of the day. So just very plainly today, one of the things I'm leaning into is the fact that God gives his people one purpose, or excuse me, gives them one heart and one purpose, and that's to worship him. That's right out of the scriptures. And so I've been dwelling on that this morning and thinking about that today so far. 
But that's how I build my hope in God. That's how I hold on. Because I want my hope to be based on certainty. I want my hope to be based on God's character. I want my hope to be based on him and not something else, right? My hope is in God, and I know that God always keeps his promises. And here's the reality. When God... When, when his hope, right, when you start to realize that this is real, and it's real in your own life, that's when you'll actually start meaningfully share that hope with other people. When you're simply parroting what other people have to say, it's really not taking up residency in you. I'm just regurgitating when I heard someone else I really enjoy or I already agree with or I caught online or I whatever. I'm just parroting what they've said. That's not something I've owned yet. When I'm convinced of God's faithfulness, it almost becomes stupid to not tell other people about what God's doing in me and how he can do that in you as, you, as you as well. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite everybody at all of our locations to take a next step. And here's the next step. Grow in your hope in God and in his promises. And hold on to him. And hold on to his promise, right? Now, the way you do it doesn't have to look the way that I do it. I'm not communicating that at all. See, what some people do is they'll actually write God's promises on note cards or on stickies, and they put them around places that they're going to see them, on their mirror, on their driver's dash, and they're off, you know, wherever it is, all of those things. Some people set reminders on their phones, and they'll have things pop up, right? We don't all have to get up at 5 a.m. and do it that way, but we all, what we all do have to do is we all do need to put our hope in God. We do all need to put our hope in his promises and what he has said and not what I kind of maybe hope, I think, in a gray, fuzzy kind of way, maybe possibly he's this way, possibly. And there's, there's just no other way to grow in your hope in God than grounding in the scripture, in the truth of who he is. And so if you're taking that next step, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to get on the back of your connection card and just mark that next step that says holding on to God and his promise no matter what. Um, you can do that in the house on your blue connection card. You can do that online um, as well. But I would love to know. It's just so I can be praying for you and connect with you uh, too. But God always keeps his promises, right? Never fails to keep them. So this past summer... Uh, two of my kids and I did a high ropes course uh, together. And so this was their first time on a high ropes course. And they navigated their first time the way that I navigated my first time, right? Very timid, anxiety-ridden, very, very calculated in every move that they made. Their legs may have shaken a little less than mine did, um, but they relied on themselves to get through the course, right? They were, they were doing everything. It was, you know, and you could just see it, right? I could see it on their faces. Like they were, it was intense what was going on. Meanwhile, my kids, when they're on the little podiums in between the challenges, are like in amazement watching dad. Because dad is just like flying through the obstacles, right? Like I'm just bouncing from one to the next one, and I don't even care, and I'm just taking these risks. You know, this one's up like 35, 40 feet up in the air. And it's, they're like, wow, how, how are you doing that? Well, I've, I had learned the secret behind High Rope's course. And the secret is this. I learned to trust the tether, and the harness. That I can take some of these chances and some of these risks because I'm going to be all right. 
Something greater than me is hanging on to me, and I'm hanging on to it. Right? I put my trust in this tether. I put my trust that the 16-year-old kid who hooked me up did it right. <laughs> Whole lot of believing going on in that moment. And I had the firm belief that if I tripped, if I misstepped, even if I fell, I was going to be okay. Because it had me. The tether had me, and I had it. And so when you learn to fully hold on to God and to his promise, you will live life differently than others. And it almost appears to others like you're carefree. But that's not it. And you know that's not it. Actually, it's great intentionality. It's great hope that has got you to that place. But they can't understand how you have hope when your house seems to be burning down to the ground. And they can't grasp it, and they can't understand it, but they want it. And they want to know the life hacks that you do that got you to that place. And so it's on us, right? You have the opportunity to share the hope that you have. So you know the secret. The secret's actually not getting up at 5 a.m. The secret's not all the little disciplines and the hacks and the whatever that's behind all of it. The secret is this. You know that God always keeps his promise. And you've put all your weight on him and nothing else because he always keeps his promise and so let me encourage you hold on to him and never let go I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes because we ask this question every week Jesus what are you saying to me right now and I just want you to listen for a moment Here at Lighthouse Community, we want to pray for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing one more song. And during this song, what we're going to have is we're going to have prayer leaders in every corner of the room. So as John Hart was up here talking about that this morning, that's the ministry that he leads. So we've got these prayer leaders that will be in every corner of the room. They're going to start making their way there now. And they're going to be available to pray with you about any area of your life, any area at all. It could be something we've talked about today. It could be something completely different. You may sense that God is inviting you to hold on to him and onto his promise, and you don't know how to do that. You could come and pray with a prayer leader this morning. You may be facing significant health issues right now. You can come and pray with a prayer leader this morning. They know how to pray with you about any area of your life, and they're available to be with you. And so we're going to sing one more song. And during that time, I'm going to invite anybody to slip forward or the back of the room to pray with the leader. And let me say this. You don't, you don't have to be embarrassed to want prayer. 
Don't ever be embarrassed. Don't let that hold you back from praying with somebody. And you don't have to be a member. You, you don't even have to be a follower of Christ to receive prayer this morning. But every one of us need prayer. And this is an opportunity for us to do that. And so if you want prayer, I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to stand in worship, and I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray in just a moment. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you and you alone would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.